was one of five designers that were responsible for developing the first Cirrus certified aircraft called the SR-20. And this has been the world's best-selling four-seat aircraft uh, since it was first delivered. We were able to then, in 30 days from start to finish, show our executives uh, something that we couldn't have done in four months here. And it was only done because we were creative enough to figure out how to build a full-scale prototype uh, using additive manufacturing, which I, to this day, uh, appreciate. Solutionology is about being unyielding with perseverance to get to the solution. To not give up and to constantly drive for better. So even when we deliver 100%, I want to deliver 110 next time. And for me, the constraints of that project are the most important because that's what drives us to a solution. It's all about painting a picture and getting all the details in. How do we develop a tool that helps share our journey, educate others, and bring more light to the realities of additive manufacturing? The Solutionology Podcast. Well, here we are on episode number 18 of the Solutionology Podcast. You know, each one, they, they get a little bit more unique and, and we continue to explore the process, the story, and, and really the messages that we're trying to deliver. And um, this, we've got a dear friend uh, as our guest, an inspiring designer and, um, and a renaissance, renaissance man of sorts. Uh, that's how I think about Mike Van Stegen. And um, it's someone who is uh, I look up to from uh, design and creativity and, you know, just a, a, a great perspective of life and, and how to maximize it. So I'm, I'm really excited to have Mike on. Uh, Brian, we've been working with Mike for, you know, shoot, six, you know, solid six years, five or six years. And, and through that time, I've really had a chance to um, learn from you, Mike, and, uh, and also have some fun. Mike is uh, currently the Vice President of Advanced Development for Cirrus Aircraft. He's, uh, Mike's got a storied career uh, with Cirrus and um, an extraordinary career in the aerospace and aviation industry, as well as um, industries that are complementary to that from an advanced development standpoint. So Mike, it's a privilege to, and an honor to have you on our podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to be here, fellows, and uh, I do cherish our relationship. Uh, I look forward to any project that I get to do that uh, that leads me on a path to working with your you guys, yourselves personally, and your team. Uh, it's been a very, very positive experience, so I really appreciate you uh, reaching out and asking me to be part of your podcast today, and I'm extremely excited to uh, share what I would call a very um, a, a very hidden message. Uh, these types of messages don't get out in the world very often, and this forum that you guys have is a really nice way to communicate it. And uh, so I really appreciate you uh, uh, guys uh, reaching out to me for this today. Thanks. Well, thanks for joining us. And your uh, this we won't cover today, but your life chart that you shared with me has been extremely meaningful. So your your uh, education is uh, very impactful, and I'm sure it will be today for for our audience. So, Mike, uh, today you're um, you're with Cirrus, your uh, VP of Advanced uh, Development. But, you know, your career is absolutely fascinating. One of your major career milestones besides the SR-20 and SR-22 development uh, is uh, you were also the impetus to the Cirrus jet. I joined a, a team of extremely talented people. Uh, and to this day, I'm humbled 
uh, often by what extreme talent exists at Cirrus and in this industry as a whole. This industry um, really appeals to people that are creative and, and, and want to do hard uh, hard things. While I, I can tell you it's usually extremely uncomfortable to talk about myself because all of my accomplishments here at Cirrus has been team efforts, and I've been lucky to be sometimes the author of things, and I get the credit for that, but but it usually comes from a lot of people. So with that said, um, so I was one of five designers that were responsible for developing the first Cirrus certified aircraft called the SR-20, which also turned into the 22 with a larger engine. And this has been the world's best-selling four-seat aircraft uh, since it was first delivered. It has been on top of the pile the whole time. And I like to think that um, I brought uh, some pretty clever uh, ideas uh, to the aircraft that helped it get there. And I'll give you a couple of really great stories. Um, and this was before additive manufacturing was even uh, existed, at least at, at the consumer and small business level. Uh, my responsibility was the fuselage, which is the body of the aircraft. Because I was fairly aggressive, I took over sort of the aesthetic treatments of wingtips and uh, other things that I could affect uh, that would help contribute to the overall aesthetic of the design. There was something, I as an architect, you dream of doing the skyscraper or the Guggenheim Museum. Uh, you know, you, 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 a, a person like that typically pines to do something where they're basically the author of it. I had all that, and I was really, really, really excited about uh, trying to push um, Cirrus uh, into the next airplane. The Vision Jet, what was really uh, curious to me uh, when I was trying to figure out how to, to make this airplane a reality was I was uh, trying to leverage everything I had uh, available to me in my toolbox. Um, as I mentioned before, composite construction allowed you to make these beautiful flowing 3D shapes, uh, very aerodynamic uh, in, uh, in general principle. What I was attempting to do was increase the amount of cubic feet on the inside of the airplane by keeping, but also keep the airplane as small as I possibly could because the smaller an airplane is, the faster it will go on a given power more or less as a rule of thumb. But uh, if you were to sit at your local coffee shop and look outside and watch the vehicles go by, you see single people in minivans and big trucks. And so you think to yourself, what in the world's going on? Why isn't everybody on bicycles and scooters for crying out loud or single person cars? Because that's really how uh, humans really travel most of the time. They don't do that. The reason they buy the minivans and the cars is because of the other parts of their lives where they need to haul something or bring grandkids along or uh, uh, people and bags and groceries and things like that. So you buy, you buy, you buy the vehicle because of the overall utility that it's going to bring to you. So I wanted to uh, increase the size of the cabin for the size of the airplane. I'm six foot four. Um, and I really like to fit in things. Um, and so it was probably a good that I was trying to size the inside of the airplane. Again, I wanted to make uh, the experience for the passengers the best it could be. And so getting these big windows in the right spot, uh, the right number of seats. And, and so anyway, I had a couple of really creative ideas uh, on how to do the seating and staggered that and made a, a center seat that could slide back and forth so you could have a very... Uh, a variety of options, just like the Chrysler stow and go seating concept, right? You know, seats when you need them and they disappear when you don't. Uh, wanted to have those types of 
that type of logic in the aircraft design. So I'd come up with a handful of really strong, bold concepts. I was sort of hell-bent on making that happen and, um, and eventually developed a full-scale uh, fuselage of the, of the Cirrus Vision jet all by myself. And it was uh, really tricky because building, uh, it was a very rough mock-up, I'll, I'll say, but uh, it was made of foam and fiberglass uh, and the foam was from Home Depot or, or your Lowe's stores and, um, and I fiberglassed it up myself and then made the seats out of wood and fabric and, and, and covered it with house paint. I mean, it was, these were, it was very, very low cost, but over about a seven month period, I was able to design uh, and build the fuselage of the aircraft that guess what became the ambassador for my ideas. Um, explaining them in model form. I did that for many years. And by the time I finally got the go ahead to, to build this prototype by myself, it was all on the line. It had that that the final mock-up had to, to to show that through a series of models, about seven or eight of them, I came up with the final sort of shape of the vision jet and how it was going to look, and, and everybody could get the get the concept. But of course, the it was a small desktop model with only about an eighteen-inch wingspan, and the fuselage was you know size of a grapefruit. I needed to translate that to full scale um, because a lot of my ideas were on the inside of the airplane, and it was a human scale. And so I built the fuselage from the nose to the back of the back seat, basically the cabin volume plus the nose. And I'd already gotten, uh, you know, the, the sign of approval from the desktop model. The model was all built and I brought the, uh, the two owners of the company in to see it. And they absolutely were shocked when they first saw it because the proportions without the tail if you think of a tadpole, right, you have a kind of a big bulbous front and a long skinny tail. Um, uh, the tail was missing on my tadpole, so it made it look out of proportion. And he looked straight at me five seconds after opening the door and looking in. He's just like, what happened? And I was like, nothing happened. He's like, why does it look so fat? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, airplanes need to look long and skinny and slender and sexy. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm offended by this. And, uh, and I said, it's, ex it's, this, it's, it's exactly this model, just in scale. He goes, well, it doesn't look right. It's, it's, there's something wrong here. And um, I, won't, I won't labor you, but I've gone through this process before. So it started out with that house model that I explained earlier and another project that I did where the drawings and the models and the full scale didn't work. And so I knew what to do. This was a Friday. So over the weekend, I built a skeleton version of the tail, a lot like those uh, wood dinosaurs are made with lots of flat plates, right? So I made the tail and I got it stuck up there, painted it all white. And on Monday, we were bringing the board of directors through. And um, and when they walked in on Monday morning and saw the tail, he looked at me and he winked and uh, gave me the... You killed that guy, you know, you, you nailed it. And, um, and so that was uh, another uh, experience of how incredibly important um, proportions are. Um, I have another saying that I'd like to use, and it's, uh, I guess I have a lot of dumb sayings, but uh, this one is, is good. Um, and it's, I call it eighths of an inch, one over eight, eighths of an inch. It is amazing how people can perceive the difference of minute proportions. Uh, another analogy I use is uh, if you if you like to look at beautiful people in magazines, right? Um, you can tell we all have eyes and noses and mouths and hair and ears, but there are people that people say those are beautiful people, and others that aren't so beautiful. What makes the difference? Microns. 
the tiniest proportional differences between eye shape and eye placement, and nose and nostrils and lips and teeth and all of the pieces that make up a face. But uh, you can see we have seven, eight billion people on the planet. We all look different. And these are extremely tiny, tiny proportions. So I use this thing called eighths of an inch to try to express uh, how sensitive uh, humans are to proportion. And uh, we try not to forget that. One of the, the, the first big projects you and I did together for Cirrus was a fuselage of an airplane. And that fuselage was to demonstrate this principle called eighths of an inch. We had a wood mock-up. We had uh, sort of that dinosaur frame skeleton uh, that we, we referred to before, as, uh, but nobody could really see the airplane uh, in it. So we uh, we set out together uh, to build the uh, to build a fuselage where I provided you guys the exterior shell, and you figured out how to build several hundred pieces in your printers to and assemble this uh, airframe and deliver it to us. And we were able to then, in thirty days from start to finish, show our executives uh, something that we couldn't have done in four months here. Um, uh, building it ourselves in our traditional way of composite tooling and construction, even our prototyping construction. And we showed in 30 days uh, what the proportions are of the new design because the design had changed and people wanted to uh, start sign off on it. And it was only done because we were creative enough to figure out how to build a full-scale prototype uh, using additive manufacturing, which I, to this day, uh, I appreciate. And uh, as we talked about before, uh, as these new aircraft uh, are starting to uh, materialize on our on our CAD drawing boards, if you will, we're going to be doing that again and again. So uh, quite quite an accomplishment that we did as a team, I would say. Uh, but eighths of an inch, don't forget that. There's there's a lot there. And, and to cap it off with that story, that was, uh, that was an incredibly um, intense project. And, uh, you know, you had the vision there. Uh, you were experiencing, as part of the team, you were experiencing the challenges internally with, that, with the proportion challenges. And um, you um, knew what was possible with uh, with 3D printing, with additive manufacturing, and brought us the challenge. And uh, that was a great uh, that was a great big uh, project that we got to work on together successfully. So thank you for um, having that vision, and um, you know being able to help us see and push us to achieve that. Yeah, it was really a quite an accomplishment. You know, never would I, I, I never really thought we could print a print a whole fuselage like that. Um, so it, it just goes to show what, what you know, creative creative people can do. Put your minds together, right? I always love seeing your name pop up on my phone because I think to myself, now what is Mike going to say? What if, you know, could we, mm -hmm. could you guys? <laughs> I always love mm -hmm. those phone calls because it, uh, it pushes us to think about something new from a different perspective. Mm -hmm.